Hey, everybody, and welcome to another week of the unofficial WCC Hoops podcast. I'm Zach Farmer. Uh, We are now into December, our second week of December, really, second weekend of December. And we are now less than a month away from conference play. We have a lot to, to talk about, discuss from the games from last week, what we have coming up. Uh, we're going to get into St. Mary's a bit. We're going to talk about Gonzaga, LMU, uh, a little bit about what USF is, has been up to and has coming up. Uh, but we're going to start with BYU. And obviously they were hit hard uh, this week. Uh, they did pick up their first loss of the year, uh, but more importantly was the the loss of big man Gavin Baxter. For the second time in a couple of years, he has now gone down with a torn ACL, and he will miss the rest of the season. Uh, just hearing that news was kind of gut wrenching for me. Like even though like I'm like yeah I'm a Saint like I'm a St. Mary's fan, like, but I'm a basketball fan and I wanted to see BYU at its strongest when we got to conference play and to really see what these teams could do at full strength. So that that's, it's a huge blow. And in addition to that, uh, uh, Gideon George also missed a couple of games this week uh, with illness due to an illness. And so BYU has a bit of a big man shortage right now. And that hurt them against Utah Valley as they picked up their first loss of the year. And then they struggled. They struggled a bit, not struggled a bit. They struggled on the boards against Missouri state. So let we'll, so we'll go back to you, the Utah Valley game. And in that one, that was a bit of a rock fight because both teams shot 31%. Uh, it looked like BYU had the game in control when they were up by seven with four thirteen left, but then they just got beat up on the inside. Uh, they got beat up by Fardaz Amok, uh, who had 24 points and 22 rebounds for Utah Valley. Uh, they took 35 free throws on the night and the rebounding margin of that game was Still in BYU's favor, but it was only a three rebound difference, which on the year that was the smallest margin, smallest margin of a rebound difference that BYU has faced all year. Then we'll fast and you fast forward to Missouri State just the other night. And rebounding was kind of the storyline there as well. And yeah, BYU picked up the win, but they allowed third, they gave up 13 offensive rebounds. 15 second chance points and it was the first time all year that BYU was out rebounded in a game and there's no coincidence that these two that the two games in which they were down Baxter George and keep in mind they also were still down Harward who has been out all been out all season to this point so it is now becoming a bit of a concern for what is BYU going to do on the front line. That means they're going to have to have more of an impact from, from Caleb Lohner. They're going to have to have more of an impact from Charlie. Like they're going to need more 
rebounding from other spots in the lineup. Now they could end up scoring more. And we started to see that a little bit. We saw uh, some, some of the BYU players pick up where some of those uh, empty spots on the offensive end. Spencer Johnson has been really clutch off the bench in those, in both of those games, but BYU is in a little bit of trouble right now. And, and the two games that they have coming up this week, I think are going to be good telling signs for BYU. Utah, BYU has Utah State and Creighton coming up this week. And as we saw against St. Mary's, Utah State isn't exactly the biggest team. Their, their best score uh, is 6-7 and as at the four position. So this is something that BYU, for the most part, should be able to handle. Um, Utah State is a very good team. I don't necessarily know if that means BYU is going to pull away with this one, but this is going to be another really good test uh, for, for, the, for the Cougars against a very gritty Utah State team. But the bigger challenge, I think, is going to be Creighton. Because if you look at the roster, actually, like 1 through 13, it doesn't look like it's all too bad. But then you get, but then you get to uh, 7-1 Ryan Kalkbrenner. And this is a guy who is going to give BYU problems. He's averaging 12 points, 6 rebounds, and he is averaging nearly 2.5 blocks a game. He will protect the rim. This might is probably going to be the best rim protector that BYU will have seen all season long. And he is a size matchup problem for the Cougars. And just as another note of someone else they're going to see in this game, because it has a WCC connection, uh, Ryan Nebhard, who is and- Andrew Nebhard's younger brother, is also on this team and he has come out on fire in his freshman season. He's averaging 12 a game uh, like his brother, like running the point guard position and averaging nearly five assists. Creighton is Creighton is always going to be a good team. They're seven and two going into this week. And this is, this could potentially be a matchup problem, but we'll see like, Caleb Lohner was supposed to be one of like, and is so one of the better players in the league. And we really haven't seen him kind of blossom into that offensive player. In addition to being an effective rebounder quite yet, but this is now part of the season where I think we need to start to see that improvement. BYU needs, needs him and others on the front line to step up with the absence of Baxter. If they have George back this week, it will be a big addition for them. Still missing Harvard, and that's a big blow. So BYU is going to have to really take care of the ball, shoot well. And I think that's the thing. They have to shoot well. They need someone other than, again, I go back to, they need someone other than Alex Barcella to really pick up that offensive slack. And we've started to see that with, Spencer Johnson, again, like who has been big off the bench. Tejan Lucas has also been there, but it's been a little inconsistent on his efficiency. So if that can improve a little bit more and, and that's, again, that's getting better as well. Like he's shooting 44% on the season. So little by little, it's getting better from where we saw him early on in the year. So let's transition over to the Gales. 
St. Mary's had Utah State and Colorado State uh, last week. And obviously that's a really tough road trip going to Logan and then going up to Fort Collins. Both were incredible environments. Uh, Both were packed houses. And it, you really got to, this was a good test for St. Mary's because as hard, as difficult as the Maui Invitational was, those were neutral site games against still fairly tough opponents, even though some of those losses are not looking at, or some of those wins are not looking as good as they did even a week ago. Notre Dame has slipped a few times. Oregon hasn't looked too hot either. But Utah State and Colorado State have been rolling so far this year. And the Utah State game, well, both games fell into kind of a similar pattern. St. Mary's got off to a slow offensive start, but the defense is what really kept them into games. But the difference between the Utah State game and the Colorado State game was Colorado State is just better. And unlike Utah State, was able to take control of the tempo of the game. I think the one thing you have to give St. Mary's a lot of credit for so far this year is even if it hasn't looked pretty on the offensive end, they have controlled the pace of all of these games. They controlled the pace of the Oregon game. They controlled the pace of Notre Dame. They controlled the pace of Utah state. They controlled the pace of Colorado state for a while. They controlled the pace of Wisconsin, even though yeah, Wisconsin kind of plays at that tempo anyway. The difference was Colorado State was and is the better team right now. They played better. They played tougher defense against St. Mary's than Utah State did. They they were offensively more versatile than Utah State was. Isaiah Steam is in the first half, and then David Roddy in the second half just gave St. Mary's fits throughout the course of the day. Also, it really hasn't helped that St. Mary's continues to have this offensive problem and will go into long dry spells. They shot one of those. I mean, the dry spell from the three from three point range, I think, has been a consistent theme. I mean, they're shooting 33 percent for for the season, but they were four for 21 um, against Colorado State. And the other thing has been that they've really had only one player so far that has been a consistent offensive option and that's Dan Foto. He showed that in the Maui. He has shown that in spurts all throughout the season. He's still the team's leading scorer. But teams have now started to focus on that and are forcing team and forcing St. Mary's to find some, another offensive source, find someone else to beat them. Utah State did that and it and it still worked out for St. Mary's. They forced most of the offense to run through other options. And then you had Matthias Toss come through. You had Alex Dukas come through. But against Colorado State, that didn't work. Colorado State forced the offense away from Dan Foto, and St. Mary's didn't have an answer. And you really saw that in the second half where St. Mary started to go on a run. Dan Votu was in the middle of that. And when Votu fouled out, Colorado State took complete control of the game. Like, yes, 
yeah, St. Mary's had got a couple buckets after uh, he fouled out, but the tide had turned. Like the game just felt different after he fouled out. It felt like they were no longer as versatile as you would like them to be. This is a this is a continuous problem that St. Mary's has had all year. Now, so far to this point, it really hasn't made that much of a difference because they've been so amazing on the defensive end. And their adjusted defensive um, number on Kempom is seventh in the nation right now. So they're doing they're doing a lot of things right, but it's but they have not yet figured out where that next offensive option is coming from. But we might start, but I think that we're starting to see who that might be. And it might be Augustus Marshallonis. He played really well against Colorado State. And he used, and we saw him also get key minutes against Utah State down the stretch. And for a freshman to have this much trust from Randy Bennett early on, I think is a big deal. I think that he has been getting critical minutes on the court in lieu of Tommy Cousy, who is as experienced as anyone, obviously, in the league, means something. So I think as we get through the rest of preseason play, I think we're going to see Marshallonis get more minutes, get more playing time, and get more comfortable in, the, in this point guard role as leader of that, of that team. He's also going to be a far more dangerous weapon uh, than than Tommy Cousy is as much as as much as I love Tommy Cousy on the floor is that he is not the athlete that Marshallonis is he's not the he's not the shooter that Marshallonis is he's not the playmaker that Marshallonis is or will be and it's a pretty soft week for St. Mary's they only have the one game against Santa Barbara on this coming Saturday so this should be a this should be a pretty um, a pretty good week for St. Mary's as they are in the middle of finals and then have the one game to focus on this coming weekend. All right, let's head down the coast and actually talk about LMU. So their last four games have all been really close contests, but the Lions are three and one. They won over SMU. They won over Prairie View A&M. Lost to Grand Canyon, and then they won against Long Beach State. Now, Prairie View A&M and Long Beach State are not good teams. So those were wins they should have gotten. SMU is a good team, and that was an impressive win. They should have won. They, that was, the Grand Canyon game was a game that got away from them. That was one they should have had. And none of these games have been decided by more than six points. And I bring the, the no game has been decided by more than six points for this reason. One of the big challenges that LMU faced a year ago was turnovers. It was also a challenge for the Lions early on in this season. In their first four games, they were averaging more than 18 turnovers a game which I don't need to tell you that's awful. In the last four games, they're averaging, they're averaging just a little over 12 per game. And I, and before the year I said it, and I was thinking about it, that 
if LMU was going to be successful this year, they had to limit their turnovers because they were going to be in a lot of close games. Last four contests have been decided by six points and they have significantly dropped their turnover number over the last four games. That's not a coincidence. That means they are limiting the opportunities for the, for their opponents. They're taking better care of the ball. They're making better decisions. And I think that this, that they're still missing something because they're still not sharing the ball as well. Cause if you take a look at their assist to turnover uh, ratio, it's still, it's still not good. It's still toward the bottom of the conference. And part of that is because they're still, they're missing Jalen Anderson, who, who was second on the team and assists a year ago, but has not played since opening night. So the next four games, as we get, as we start to close the non-conference is going to be critical for LMU. Like they're five and three right now. So they're starting to, I think, trend in the right direction. And they have four very winnable games for them coming up. This week, it's Tulsa, New Mexico. The next week, it's New Mexico State, Nevada. And then the following week, it's Bellarmine before we start conference. On paper, these are all games that they should win. But the focus still needs to be taking care of the ball, making good decisions. That turnover number has is a vast improvement. You go from 18 to 12 per game, you're going to win a lot more games and they have done so. So they need to continue that momentum going in the conference play against teams that they should be beating. And speaking of turnovers, I'm going to focus a little bit on Gonzaga, but I'm not going to go, I'm not going to stress too much about what happened this past week. I, they lost to Alabama in the battle in Seattle and Alabama is a really good team. Gonzaga has challenged themselves so well in this preseason. There were bound to be hiccups. There were bound to be things that you could, you could point to that, that they needed to work on. I think it was really unrealistic to think that they were going to roll through this preseason undefeated like they did a year ago. I think it's, it was really unrealistic to think that they could repeat what they did a year ago. What they did a year ago just doesn't happen all that often. It rarely happens. I think what we're seeing so far this year is probably more of what we should expect of, of really good teams who have really good schedules. They're going to hit some bumps in the road. They're going to, they're going to, you're going to find some flaws in their game. And over the last like, couple of weeks, you could say one of those things was turnovers. They had 17 against Duke. They had 16 against uh, Tarleton State. So there's definitely some things to clean up. They also haven't shot very well from the free throw line the last couple. And in fact, there have been a few games where they have been in the fifth, in the 50 percentile um, shooting, shooting from the free throw line. They're 14 for 24 against Tarleton, 13 for 25 against Alabama. But if we're going to point to something that still seems very consistent over the course of the, of the preseason is short of the UCLA game. They really have not 
They they lack a dynamic guard. They lack a Jalen Suggs. Andrew Nebhard, for all of the good that he does, all the good that he brings to the table, he's not one to take the initiative to find his own shot when the time calls for it. Rashir Bolton is also still trying to find his place in this half-court offense. He's not, he's not the primary distributor. Like He becomes that when Nebhardt's not on the floor, but he's still trying to find his spot because he's, he's definitely a score-first guy. And then you, and, but the one, now one, I think that's actually start, I think will eventually be that guy is Nolan Hickman. And we kind of saw that uh, in the Alabama game. And we've seen it over the course of the season as well. But in the second half, when Gonzaga was starting to make its run and make their comeback, it was Nolan Hickman who kind of took charge and was looking for his own shot to get the offense going and get the, and get, and get a run going. So I, I don't want to stress over too much again. Like I, I think this is a team that's going to have some minor bumps in the road. I think Alabama is a minor bump in the road. Duke was a minor bump in the road because they are starting to learn more about what this team is capable of. You're not going to roll off your first 30 games of the year without picking up a loss that that doesn't happen. They're seven and two right now. Gonzaga is fine. They'll be fine before conference play. Yeah, they have they have one more, I think, really tough game against Texas Tech. And that will and that will provide another test to see where Gonzaga is, as they'll have a few a little bit more time to kind of prep for that one after having faced like the maybe the toughest November, early December that anyone has ever faced. And so, yeah, I, I just, I think we're going to see them continue to grow, continue to learn. Now, I do think that maybe that what we have seen maybe provides a, not a blueprint, but like gives teams an idea of what they can do, WCC teams of what they can do against Gonzaga to make them unco- uncomfortable. And I think part of that, what we saw with Alabama was how tough they played them defensively which is, I think, something that St. Mary's has learned you have to do to Gonzaga over the last couple of years. If you're going to beat Gonzaga, you've got to be physical with them and don't let Gonzaga dictate the pace to you. Again, that is a whole lot easier said than done. But if there's a way to do it, it's to make them uncomfortable and to be physical with them. I think BYU is also starting to be that way. But again, with the loss of some of with the loss of Gavin Baxter, that's going to just make it that much tougher, even on BYU. All right, let's move on to the last remaining undefeated team in the WCC, and that is USF. USF did exactly, I think. I mean, they covered and but they did exactly what we thought they would they remained undefeated this week beating UNLV they got 30 from Jamari Bouye they got 16 18 and 16 from Masalski which is exactly what they were hoping for and obviously not 18 and 16 every night but 
like that sort of performance was exactly what USF has been hoping to get from his addition. USF is in position, and this is kind of the, the crazy thing. They are in position now to finish conference play undefeated or non-conference undefeated. Because you take a look at their last five games before conference play. They've won this week against Fresno State. Fresno State is a good team, but I think that that is a matchup that favors USF just based on uh, where Fresno State's strength is, and that is in the low post, and that is an area that USF has improved on immensely. Then they see Grand Canyon and Arizona State in back-to-back nights. Now that might be the one that might be a little bit more difficult just be just for the condition of them being back-to-back games. Grand Canyon also is a good team. They're, I believe it was eight and one last I looked, seven and one, eight and one, something like that. They beat LMU. But again, like USF, I provides enough firepower. I think that they can play with anybody. And speaking of needing firepower Arizona state. Well, they did just, they did just beat Oregon on Sunday night, but this is a team that just a few days ago scored 29 points in a, in a game. Arizona state is, I think they're in trouble as far as, as far as the rest of the season goes. And they have not looked good against a lot of teams. And I think USF could expose them in a very large way, in a very big way. And then the last two are Southern Illinois and Academy of Art. I know Academy of Art did beat uh, Davis just a couple weeks ago. So you can't just like shove aside Academy of Art as being a non-factor. But uh, those are also two games that USF should handle. Again, like I don't want to go like get too far ahead, but now that we're into this last last stretch before conference play, this looks doable. This looks realistic. USF could be 14 and 0 before the start of conference play. Even in my most optimistic of predictions, I could not have pictured them being 14 and 0. Like these. Yeah, they were. I don't think they've really had like a incredibly tough challenge yet. But Davidson's a good team. UAB is a good team. Like it hasn't. It's not like they haven't faced anybody who isn't any good. They've faced some really solid teams, and they've beaten those solid teams. They've done exactly what they're supposed to do. And with five to go. It's doable. Now, after that, I think it's going to get real tough because they start conference play at St. Mary's at Gonzaga. So I, they may get to conference play at 14 and 0, but after that, I think it's going to be a very, very tough uphill climb to keep that undefeated streak alive uh, with the, with those two on the road as the first opponents. All right. And just a quick rundown of the rest of the conference slate. Tonight at San Jose State is at Pepperdine. Then tomorrow is Mount St. Mary's at Santa Clara. LMU at Tulsa. Then on Wednesday, Utah State-BYU, which is probably going to be the 
one of the two best games of the week. Actually, BYU probably has both of the best games of the week. Uh, Fresno State is at USF. And that's going to be good. Uh, Merrimack is going to be at Gonzaga on sat- Saturday. We've got a slate of six BYU versus Creighton. Again, that will be a big one out in Sioux Falls. Pacific at San Jose State. Santa Barbara at St. Mary's. Alabama State at Pepperdine. New Mexico State at LMU. And Cal Lutheran at San Diego. Then wrapping the week up with Washington and Gonzaga, assuming they play that game because Washington is still in the middle of uh, a COVID protocol where, and they had to miss their game just last night against UCLA. All right, well, that'll do it for this week's episode of the unofficial WCC Hoops podcast. Be sure to subscribe on your favorite streaming service. And I'm Zach Farmer, and I will catch you next week.